in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Good morning, everybody. We're going to springboard um, into this new series off of Matthew 13, uh, verses 1 to 9. I'm not going to read through that, but you'll see that on the screen. And when Jesus was teaching, he said a farmer went out to sow some seed. And then he, he presented two scenarios. Seed that produced nothing because the soil was either too hard, too cluttered, uh, or not good soil. And then he said, but there was other seed that fell into good soil, and, this, and it produced 30 times, 60 times, and 100 times uh, more than it was sown. And so the quality of seed is never in question in, in this story that Jesus gives us. The seed is good seed. I promise you, you hear a word from God, it will produce. It will, produ- it will m- produce uh, m- multiplied 30, 60, 100 times. There's nothing wrong with the seed. The, the, uh, the wild card in the narrative is the soil. And the soil is, is, is our hearts. It's you and me. We, we are the wild card in this. Whether it's producing good fruit and, and life in us or not has nothing to do with the seed. It has everything to do with the soil. And so I want to talk about one distinctive of a really good heart. One distinctive of really good soil. And that is Gratitude. I want to talk about gratitude today. And I spent the entire week looking at gratitude from a biblical perspective. I began to look at the, you know, from a positive psychology perspective. And it's fascinating stuff. And I thought I'd begin by, by pointing to what ingratitude looks like and what it produces in us. And to do that, I wanted you to look at, uh, in the book of Exodus, God has just delivered Israel set them free from 400 years of bondage, okay? 400 years of slavery. And his intent is to lead them into a land that is full, full of resources, a land of plenty. It's an 11-day journey. It's an 11-day journey to go from getting out of Egypt to getting into the promise, 11 days. But it took them over 40 years, And even then, the generation that was set free from the bondage and the slavery of Egypt died in the wilderness, having never experienced what God intended for them. And part of the reason is because every time there was a problem, every time it was a challenge, in mass, there was this barrage of complaining and murmuring and arguing The the, the Bible calls the nation of Israel at that point in history a stiff-necked people. Uh, They are stubborn. And and leading them is like herding fish. And so for 40 years they wander around this wilderness. For 40 years they grumble. For 40 years they complain. You see, you can take a person out of slavery. But can you take slavery out of a person? Can you take the victimization out of the people? And apparently, it's not easy. Because if you watch and you read through the narrative in Exodus, you'll see that these ex-slaves are projecting onto Moses and they are projecting onto God 
their disdain and distrust of Pharaoh. They are talking and treating and re reacting to Moses as if he was an oppressor, as if God was oppressing them. At the end of the day, Israel's undoing, at least that generation, their undoing was not because there was no water in the wilderness and there was no food in the wilderness because God was with them and he provided. They, what killed them was not the poisonous snakes and the scorpions because God protected them. Israel's undoing was their view of God, was their view of the world. Their critical, complaining, ungrateful attitude killed them. And that's how you spell bad soil. And so then a new generation rises up and God now is giving them a, a, a pep talk. He's speaking to this next generation that's coming up. It's Deuteronomy chapter eight. I'm gonna read 12 verses from verse six on. And Moses says this, observe the commandments of the Lord your God, walking in obedience to him and revering him. For the Lord your God is bringing you into a land a land with brooks and streams, deep springs gushing out into the valleys and the hills, a land with wheat and barley and vines and fig trees and pomegranates, olive oil and honey, a land where bread will not be scarce and you will lack nothing, a land where, there, where the rocks are iron and you can dig copper out of the hills. When you have eaten, and are satisfied. He says, praise the Lord, your God, for the good land that he's given you. Be careful that you do not forget the Lord, your God, failing to observe his commands, his laws, his decrees that I'm giving you this day. In verse 12, he says, otherwise when you eat and are satisfied, when you build fine houses and settle down and when your herds and flocks grow large and your silver and gold increase and all you have multiplied, then your heart will become proud and you will forget the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. He led you through the vast and dreadful wilderness, the thirsty and waterless land with its venomous snakes and scorpions. He brought you water out of a hard rock and gave you manna to eat in the wilderness, something your ancestors had never known, to humble you, to test you so that in the end it might go well with you. You may say to yourself, my power and the strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me. And in verse 18, but remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth and so confirms his covenant, which he swore to your ancestors as it is today. I love this because on one hand, Moses is pointing out to them that the land that you, God's prepared for you, it is, it is rich, it is full. The, the land is a land of plenty. And at the very same time, he points out their proclivity for forgetting the provider once they have received from his abundance. So often we just get fat. And when we get fat, we forget God. When it gets easy, we, we, just, we, just, we just lean in on ourselves. I heard um, uh, 
at the, on the last slide that you'll get this morning, there'll be a, a, a resource, kind of all the books and the, the places I got my, <clears throat> I, I gleaned this talk from. Stephen Furtick, he, uh, he did a, a four or five week series on gratitude and, and, uh, and it, it's something you should think about when I bring that screen up, take a picture of that with your phone. One of the things that this passage tells us is that God's gifts alone are not enough to give you joy. God's blessings alone are not enough to give you joy. God's gifts can only bring you joy when they are received with a genuine heart of gratitude. Therein lies the difference. See, God can bless you. He can bless you and bless you and bless you. He, he can bless you with amazing people. People that actually love you. The up-close version of you. He can, he, he can provide for you. He can bless you with opportunities. But if you do not know how to turn those blessings into gratitude, then those blessings simply become pride. And pride hardens your heart. And hard soil, there's no room for good seed. We've got to turn those blessings into gratitude. You've got to figure out a way to do this. Now listen, none of us in this room is practicing gratefulness enough. Okay, let's just, let's just agree with that. Okay, we're, we, we all fall short on this. My talk isn't to beat you up, even if I come off intense. It's supposed to inspire you to, to go, oh yeah, I gotta, I'm gonna lean into that. I'm gonna be intentional about that. One of the things that I realized is that maybe we don't need in our life an, an, our next level of accomplishment. Maybe, maybe we don't need in our life the next level of uh, acquiring things. But maybe what we do need in our life is the next level of appreciation. Maybe what we really need in our life is to, 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 to appreciate what God's already put in our lives. I, I came across this Estonian proverb that says that who does not thank for little will not thank for much. The level of gratitude that you function and operate in and practically practice on a daily basis has everything to do with the level of happiness and joy that you walk in on any given day. If you grow in gifts and not in gratitude, it is virtually like pouring goodness into a black hole. It doesn't change you one little bit. Think about it. Just think about your life. You thought that you would be exceedingly thankful when you were praying for the blessings that you are walking in now, praying for the things that are, that are naturally yours now, the favor that's yours, the people you know, the, the, the blessings of prosperity and provision that you have now, the car you're driving now. You thought, if I could just get that vehicle, I will be so happy and yet you're not thankful. No more than you were yesterday. What makes you think that getting more will actually make you more thankful when you're not even practicing your gratitude today? There is a, a really fascinating relationship between happiness and gratitude. I came across some work by Dr. Sean Acker. He's a Harvard psychologist. And he writes, if I knew 
absolutely everything about your external world, he said, I could still only predict 10% of your long-term happiness. 10%. It's because 90% of your long-term happiness does not happen in the external world. But it comes by the way your brain processes the world that you are living in. It comes by the lens that you put on the world that you live in right now. And this is true, isn't it? We all know somebody who has everything I want to be happy, but they're not happy. And at the same time, we all know people who live at a, at a, at a poverty line, people who live with a fraction of what we enjoy, a fraction of our comforts, and yet they radiate happiness. Why is that? It's simple. It's not happiness that makes us grateful. It's gratitude that makes us happy. It's the lens with which we look at our lives. Sean Acker, by the way, at the, that last slide, there'll be a, a video clip or a, a website that he does this amazing TED talk. And he said, we're finding that it's not necessarily reality that shapes us, but it's the, our lens on our circumstance that shapes our reality. It's the way you interpret your circumstances that shapes your reality. And that's why poor people can be happy and rich people can be miserable. That's why married people can be miserable and single people can be happy. He went to Harvard, this son, and, and, and he didn't actually have the money and his family didn't have the money but he got into Harvard on a, on a military scholarship. And he said that together with all the other students, he says, when you arrive at Harvard, you are so happy. You are so happy because you, to, 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 to be part of this prestigious institution and to be surrounded by some of the smartest, most intelligent people in your peer group. And he said, but that doesn't even last two weeks. Because within the space of two weeks, he says, um, our minds become focused, not even on our philosophy and our physics. Our minds become focused on, on the stress of competition and the stress of the workload. And all of a sudden, we weren't happy anymore. See, every time your brain experiences success, it then changes the goalpost of what success looks like. You wanted to achieve one thing. And you said, if I could get to that thing, then I would be happy. And then you got to that thing. And then you walk in that thing for a little while, and now you're not happy. Because the goalpost for success has just shifted. It's moved out there. You got good grades, and you were happy until you realized you need better grades to be happier. You got a good job. You just want a better job because you know it'll make you happier. You got into a good school, but you just know, I got, you know, to, if, I, if I'm in a better school, I have a better opportunities and I'd be happier. And all of this is rooted in a belief that is actually flawed. It's a belief that if we have success, we will be happy. <clears throat> but Sean um, Anker goes, and he said, the research says this, that our brains work in completely the opposite way. 
He said, if you can raise somebody's level, he calls it positivity in the present, which simply means to be, to appreciate the moment, means to be thankful for this moment because this moment is a gift to you. You didn't earn it, you don't deserve it, but God gave it to you. Now, they didn't put it in those terms, but he says that if we can raise somebody's level of positivity in the present, he says, then the brain experiences an advantage He said, at positive, your brain works much faster, performs significantly better than at negative or neutral or stressed. Your intelligence rises, your creativity rises, your energy levels rise. They found out that when your brain is at positive, it's 31% more productive. When your brain is at positive, it's 30% sales go up, 37%. Doctors are 19% more accurate, they're faster, coming up with diagnosis, everything functions better. And the research shows us that, get this, feeling and expressing gratitude is what turns your, your mind to, to positive. It, it moves you to mentally positive thinking. And when you express gratitude, you know what's something that's really cool that happens? Something good happens to you and you feel, oh, that was wonderful. I feel, and, and, and dopamine's starting to be released into your brain and now you're actually a better version of you, okay? But then when you decide I'm gonna send an email and I'm gonna say thank you to that person for their kindness and you're sending the email and you're thanking them for the kindness, you know what's happening? You are reliving that amazing moment and more dopamine is released into your brain and now you're still a better version of yourself. Understanding that, the science of that, listen to this verse. This is genius. He said, in everything give thanks. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. He knows you. He knows how to bring forth the best version of you. He knows how you can function at your premium, at your best. In everything give thanks. For this is the will of God. See, practicing gratitude shifts your attitude. And it makes you more open to people's kindness. It makes you more open to their goodness. It actually just makes you more open to people. Practicing gratitude actually shifts your attitude and makes you more open to God. It makes you more open to his goodness. And when you are open to his goodness, then you are more grateful for his goodness. And can you see how all of a sudden you start living at what they call this positive present state? And that's good soil. That's, good, that's just good soil for everything. That's good soil for learning. That's good soil for being productive and effective at your work. That's good soil for, for the Holy Spirit dropping God's words into your life. That's just good soil. I have a friend, a really good friend of mine. Ten years ago, he lives here in Kelowna. Ten years ago, he's horsing around on the trampoline with his kids. And, um, and he gets bounced off. And he lands funny. And he knew that he broke his neck. He knew that he actually broke his neck. And he laid there and he thought, he heard it go. He, he, not that he's ever broken his neck before, but he kind of just assumed something bad happened. And then he tried to lift his body up and, and the pain just shot through, shot through his whole body. So he got his sons who were young at the time to phone the ambulance and they took him to the hospital. 
And he was waiting and waiting, waiting for the surgeon to come in and kind of give him a prognosis. And, and the surgeon came in and he looked at the x-rays and he showed him the x-rays and he said, Mark, you are the luckiest man in this entire hospital. You're the luckiest guy I've ever, he said, in the hospital today, you're the luckiest man. He said, because I do not know how you are not a quadriplegic. I have never seen such a severe break and you still have function. You still can move. He said, you should not be able to move your arms. You should not be able to move anything with that break. He said, someone up there likes you. And he said, you need to pray for me because I got to do a very tricky, my surgery is going to be very specific, very, very precise or I'll mess you up. And Mark said that the, the pain, and anybody that's had a spinal cord injury, he said the pain for the next 18 months was unbelievable. And yet every time pain shot through his entire body, he, he would thank God because he could feel. He thanked God. It changed his attitude. It shifted his focus. It changed the present moment from griping and complaining to thank you, thank you, thank you, God. I can actually feel pain in my body. You see, the real question is not, do you have a grateful heart? The real question is, do you practice gratitude? Feeling gratitude but not expressing it is like wrapping up a gift and not giving it away. How many of us sit in here Sunday morning after Sunday morning and we don't even sing? I don't know, a lot of times. I'm so, I have an opportunity to actually be drowned out by you, which is a good thing, and be led by them, which is a good thing, and to express my gratitude. And I just read the words. I love the Psalm 107. It says, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. You ever heard that verse? Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. What good is it if you are redeemed and you do not say so? You do not tell your story. What good is it? If somebody's doing a good job, say so. If somebody... If you appreciate a coworker, say so. I know. Whoa, what an idea right there. You want to change your workplace? Say so. Open your mouth. Express gratitude. Express grace. Express kindness. If you're grateful, say so. Quite frankly, this is the very most basic level of gratitude. You, 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 and, and by the way, we're not naturally thankful are we? If you raised a child, you know this is true. We, they just eat. They consume. You know, my, my boys, when they're in their teens, you know, like, honestly, I, it's, it's like I've had two wilderbeasts in the basement. We just throw meat down there, and, 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 and there'd be noise, and then a burp, and some other sounds, and and, you know, there was no dialogue around, hey, thanks so much, Dad. Appreciate you working so hard so that we can eat copious amounts of meat. Thank you. <laughs> but it's the foundation. It's, it's, it's what opens your soul 
Moses is saying to this next generation. In verse 10, he said, and when you have eaten and are satisfied, praise the Lord God for the good he has given to you. By the way, you don't have to pray before you eat, but you get to. You don't have to. You know what? You don't have to fold your hands and close your eyes, but you get to. You get to go, you know what? And you remind yourself, you know what? This, even this burger is a gift. And the indigestion that it gives me is on me. Okay. So Israel, this is the second generation now coming out of slavery, right? And they are just starting to move out of victimization and starting to kind of get the hold of the idea. It took one whole generation to move out of victimization to get a hold of the idea that God is actually our provider. And so Moses is just very simply saying, have you been given anything? Thank him. Can you see me? Thank him for your eyes. Can, your heart has been pounding since you woke up. Actually, even when you're sleeping, some of you, your heart was working. Have you ever thought, God, thank you. This thing's amazing. It just keeps going and going and going. It's amazing. And you know what? When we, when we lose gratitude, we lose wonder. All of a sudden, life just becomes gray. And when you start looking, for, you remember I said a couple weeks ago, I said, you always find what you're looking for. If you are looking for something to be thankful for, you will find it. If you're looking for something to grumble about and complain about, you will find it. Your reality is shaped by the lens that you bring to this cultural moment, this moment in your life. See, the world doesn't market appreciation and contentment because that, that is a buzz killer. Okay, that is gonna drive your business into the hole. You know, you should be content with what you have. You don't need my product. You know what, it's just another thing. You know what? But the world will not market to you appreciation and contentment. Advertiser, market, they are relentless in getting you to buy crap you don't need. The one day of the year that we set aside to be thankful, what have they done? They found a way to bombard us with Black Friday flyers on the one day that we should just stop and go, I've got enough, thank you. I've got too much, thank you. And I wonder if the Father sometimes looks at us. He says, could you just take one season and not ask me for anything else? One season and stop instead of circling things on the flyer that you want to get for Christmas, start circling the things in your life that I've given you and be thankful. But God's gracious. He's so gracious with us. I'm so thankful. He, he's, he, he's bigger than you are. And so he, he, he understands that sometimes we're selfish and we're, and we're fearful and we're timid and we're and we get stuck on ourselves. Actually, God is more gracious than Fortis. Because Fortis, they give you a gift every single day. They, they give you power every single day, don't they? But at the end of the month, they expect you to appreciate the gift that they've given to you. They expect you to, to, to say thank you. And if you don't say thank you, then they will send you a friendly reminder an invitation to appreciate their faithfulness to you that says you are past due. 
And if you forget to say thank you to us next month, we're going to cut off your power. Maybe that's why some of us are walking in so little power because we are so far past due on our gratitude. I'm going to invite the band to come on up. I was absolutely moved about 12 years ago. Before I came here, I worked in a high school. And I got to take a few students to participate in a program called the Party Program, which was put on by the Foothills Hospital. And the Foothills Hospital was trying to raise awareness of just helping young people to understand the risks involved in some of their behavior. And the program began early, early in the morning, and we were taken into the, rushed into the emergency ward, and, and it was a mock, uh, it, was, it was a day that represented exactly what you would experience if you had, uh, had, had a severe spinal cord injury, and, and exactly what you would, they would, they would cut your clothes off, and then they'd do the exam, and, and, and it went all day. This, and, and we got a chance to watch what this would be like, and it was exhausting. It was so intense. It was so difficult to even listen to the narrative and the doctors and the nurses, and then they would talk to you like they would talk to a patient. And the kids were exhausted, and they, they were, their senses were on overdrive. And at the end of the day, three o'clock, they brought us into a room, and they wheeled in three teenagers and two 20, 21-year-olds who had been in spinal cord, who had had spinal cord injuries within the last five years. And one of them was a paraplegic, the others, others were quadriplegics. And we could ask them any questions we wanted to. Any question. And these high school kids are now, this is real. This is real. And one of the gals from from my uh, class who, you know, she had everything she wanted and, and, and yet was still a brat. And um, she, uh, she goes, how, she asked the one guy who's 21 years old, competitive diver. He, he hit the water wrong one day and he broke his neck. He's a quadriplegic. And she said, how, how do you go from being this high functioning athlete to, to how, do you, how do you survive? How do you get through the day? And this was his reply. He looked at her with all the sincerity that, and he said, every day above ground. I've decided that every day above ground is a great day. And at least, unlike some of my friends, I can breathe on my own. He decided that he was fortunate. He was blessed because he could breathe without a machine. And a lot of his friends or a couple of his friends could not. He said, at least I can breathe on my own. You are walking in a blessing today that you prayed for yesterday and the day before. You're walking in that blessing and God has brought you here. Have you even taken a moment to say thank you? Colossians 2, verse 7. Paul says, let your roots grow down into him and let your lives be built on him. Then your faith will grow strong in the truth you were taught and you will overflow with thankfulness. Now that's good soil. I'm gonna pray.
And sometimes I think we need to repent. I'm not, I, I've, I've been repenting all week of my, my ingratitude. I've, I've been repenting all week because I realized that I've taken so much for granted. I've taken for granted the unbelievable people I get to work with and live with and I've taken them all for granted. And so I'm going to ask God to forgive me. And if you want to just join me and ask God to forgive you. And then we just give him this part of our lives and say, Father, we will give us grace and strength to be intentional. Lord, every good and perfect gift comes from you. And we are so thankful And Lord, I ask you to forgive me for how ungrateful I have been and have been for this consistently. I want to thank you, Father, that indeed I am walking in the things that I prayed would happen five years ago. I'm walking in my dreams come true from 20 years ago. And I haven't taken time to thank you, and so I ask you to forgive me. Forgive us, Father, for our ungratefulness. We do not want to look like the nation of Israel at the end of 40 years. But, Father, we want to give you good soil. We want to give you hearts of gratitude, hearts that are focused on your goodness and on your faithfulness and on your strength. You are a good, good God, and we love you. And we thank you in Jesus' name, amen.